So today I was listening to some music, and the music was good, and I liked the music, and so I was listening to the music. How about you guys? But then you hit record and you're out the door anyway. Our whole relationship is a CD skipping away. Crush on the ray. <laughs> I have a horrible cough in the summertime, which is infuriating me. Uh, Welcome to my world. Sucks. Summer, I know. Summer colds are summer colds are the worst. Yesterday, I was oh, like every time I cleared my throat, I immediately got the hiccups, and I can't think of a more infuriating biological chain of events. Like, why would you make me clear my throat if you're going to immediately give me the hiccups? I ask you, body of mine. This is why intelligent design is not true. Mm. Yeah, I've often thought that if, you know, I could maybe get behind it if it was, like, unintelligent design, just because, like, you know, from a, you know evolution point of view, people are pretty neat. But if someone actually sat down and designed us, they, they would be fired immediately. Mm. <laughs> uh, there is a, the uh, comment, the, uh, the line from the Colbert Report when Devo was on, intelligent decline. Speaking of which, did you get a chance to uh, listen to the Devo uh, albums at all? I, I haven't yet. You know, I just joined a band a couple of weeks ago, which is the first band that I've oh, ever been wow. in. But cool. it's, um, I know, so it's pretty awesome. I'm pretty psyched about it. But it's not my typical genre. It's like a lot of 90s rock. Um, a lot of Stone Temple Pilots, Alps and Chains, a um, couple Thin Lizzy songs, Cream, some Ozzy songs even. Um, so it's not stuff that I listen to on a regular basis. So when I, so to learn the songs, I have to like actively sit down and learn them. So between learning songs for the band and listening to new music for the podcast and listening to my own music, um, I've, uh, my listening schedule has been pretty tight yet So Devo is still uh, To be determined, but I will keep you posted Okay, take your time, it's not going anywhere That's true but yeah, I didn't know you were in a band now, that's awesome At least yeah. I know they got a really good bass player I had, Thank you, I had a um, I had a million dollar idea one night and Because I have a couple friends that play guitar And I uh, But I've never like been friends with a drummer And for a bass player that kind of sucks So and my friends that play, one friend that plays guitar is like ultra flaky and impossible to make plans with. And the other friend that plays guitar, whom I'm actually living with now, works like 24-7. So he's a hobbying guitarist. Um, and it's hard to track him down as well. So I was like, wouldn't it be awesome if there was a Facebook for, for musicians to hook up with one another and, uh, you know, post wanted ads and, you know, post videos and, you know, talk about music and stuff. So I Googled it and naturally there is one already. So there goes my millions. Um, but so I signed up for it and uh, I got a message like a week later from this guy named John who's uh, been playing guitar for like 30 years and uh, yeah, they were looking for a bass player, him and a singer and uh, a drummer. So I said, uh, yeah, let's get together and hang out and um, they loved me. So now I'm in a band, which is pretty exciting. Who, who, who wouldn't love you? 
Well, thank you. And, I appreciate uh, that. Yeah. What's the name? What's the name of the site? Maybe. What's the name of the site? Let's give. It I a don't plug. know. If, oh, the uh, the the Facebook for musicians is Band Mix, and um, their their website is pretty good. You can upload videos and stuff um, of yourself and list equipment and your genre and the instruments that you play. The iOS app is pretty horrific, uh, so I wouldn't waste your time there. But yeah, if anybody's looking for a a local musician, or if you're a local musician and you're looking for other local musicians, I definitely recommend uh, Band Mix. Uh, it's pretty good. And we just blew our chance of getting a sponsorship because of that iOS app. <laughs> well, you know. Oh, well. Uh, I mean, it's constructive it's, criticism. It's usable, I guess. And is yeah. it free? I don't know. It's not advertised on their homepage right now, so. Uh, Maybe they know. It's a third party thing. <laughs> Maybe they know. Yeah, it could be a third party yeah, thing. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, just I, I, lose, losing money. About, uh, now, yeah, now that you're in a band, I'm extra embarrassed about the uh, air guitar thing. I was going to say, speaking of bands, tell us about your, uh, your fake air guitar band. soiree. Yeah, your <laughs> imaginary band. I got robbed. <laughs> um, now, <nah, laughs> I should explain. It's... This is like a national thing. This is a worldwide thing because uh, there's regional competitions, then there's the national competition, then that where the national goes on to the world championship in Oslo. And I'm not Oslo, but it's, it's somewhere in Finland. I can't remember where. Oslo's in Norway. What the hell am I saying? Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> and uh, I went up there. I was doing the song "Girl You Want" by Devo, and it's a very supportive environment. Air guitar. All your fellow air guitarists are really supportive, and we were. Uh, this was my second year doing it, and they were really excited to have me back. I was really excited to be back. It was great to see uh, the people who, who who were competing again. And I come up. I do my routine. I do my thing. People love it. Two of the judges loved it. They gave me the, – the scoring is 4.0 to 6.0, like in figure skating, mm-hmm. because air guitar and figure skating are so very similar. And uh, two, two of the judges gave me a 5.7. Then the third judge – who is the former drummer for a band called Affirmative Action Jackson and Ugh. now sells ice cream. He gave me a 5.0 because I did, quote, a keyboard-based song. Ooh. Controversial. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's all, all the, everyone's like, oh, my God, you got, you got, you got, jerk, you got dicked. Um, like, come on. I'm, I'm like, He's a drummer. What the hell does he know about air guitar? <laughs> and That's with true. a band name like Affirmative Actions Jackson, I mean, ugh. Yeah. Terrible there's, band There's name. far worse band That's names out good. there. That's true. That's true. I, I, I found many, many worse ones, but that, that one's not exactly one of the winners. I don't have nearly enough balls to compete in an a, a, uh, air guitar competition, so... Is it like how much of it is choreographed and how much of it is improvised in your routine? It depends on the performer. Ah. Uh, I, had, I had an idea of what I wanted because you're graded on stage presence, which I had tons of. Naturally. <laughs> uh, there'll be some pictures in the show notes, some like some pictures in the show notes. Um, you're, you're graded on technical accuracy, how well you're actually keeping with the guitar notes in the song, you know, how well you're keeping with the playing. The wow. real playing, and you're graded on the subjective scale of airness. 
Why am I making finger quotes? Nobody can see me. <laughs> and that's all it. on a... Yeah. Yeah. That's a, a very... That last one's just a nice subjective score. You're, that's all on a 4.0, 6.0 system. They combine, they tally that up. And Personally, I think that's all kind of... Uh, they're just pulling... They're actually pulling the real scores out of their... They're just looking for the final score out of their butt. I don't think I actually really calculated it all out. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. Top... It's there's two rounds in the regionals. The first round, regional first round, sorry, is all the you pick one song, you get sixty seconds, you do your thing, you're you're judged, and you get the hell off the stage. Second round is the top five uh, scores from the first round. We actually had six in our round two because there was a tie, and they all have a compulsory song. Uh, this year the uh, this this set was sent from Finland apparently. Uh, the folks in Finland decided this year's compulsory song in Philadelphia would be Punk Rock Girl by the Dead Milkmen. Awesome. Hell yes. And so everyone did 60 seconds of that. And the winner uh, this year was a gentleman who goes by the name Windhammer, who deserved it. because He won last year as well. Yes. Uh, second place went to President Abraham Lincoln. Our only female competitor, who was also really, really good. And, yeah, everyone got in a round two, deserved to get in a round two. I don't know if I deserve to get in a round two, but I deserved better than a 5.0 from that third judge. Yes, I am bitter. Oh, well, I'm doing it again next year. That's good. So this, this was your second time? Yeah. Nice. Do you want me to talk more smack about that, uh, the, the, that one judge's band? That I've never heard. No, I think we're good. <laughs> okay, are you sure? Because I mean, no, I, 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 I can I can make up all sorts of stuff. <laughs> nah, we don't want to get sued. Okay, okay, fine. All right, baby. <laughs> uh, we've got some picks this week, don't we? We do have serious picks. It'd be kind of funny if we didn't, you know, just like changing it up one thing. It'd be like, so we got picks this week. Nope. No, no, no picks. Um, music's good, I guess. I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I pick, I pick well, the entire uh, idea of music. <laughs> I don't know. Pitchfork gave music a six point eight. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know so, who, uh, who who likes Pitchfork? I bet you know who who likes Pitchfork. That, that that dude in Affirmative Action Jackson, Ew. I bet. Oh, that, that that's harsh, man. <laughs> Burn! So, uh, last week I went first. Andrew, I think uh, it's your turn. That's me. Okay. All right, so this is going to be intense. So everybody hang on. Um, my pick this week is uh, Clockwork Angels, which is the new studio album by Rush. Um... This is their 20th studio record. It uh, came out last Tuesday uh, as of this recording. And I'm not entirely sure where to start. So I guess what we'll do is we'll just um, play a clip from the, t- the, uh, the first track, which is called Caravan. And we'll play that for you guys now. Caravan 
I want to hear Caravan with the drum sola. <laughs> I can't pull that off. Um, so I couldn't, I couldn't decide what uh, what track to go with on this album because Rush is such a and what's what's going to make this particularly painful for non-Rush fans is that Rush is such a behemoth in music and especially in progressive rock and they started, they formed in 68 uh, up in uh, Toronto and Neil Peart uh, their drummer joined in 74 and uh, they've had the same lineup ever since so they've been around for, you know, working on 40 years now and what makes Rush so great, among other things, you know, instrumental prowess and um, songwriting and, you know, uh, everything, is longevity. And it's comforting to know that these same three guys have been able to stand each other and be, been able to make music and make awesome music together for so long. Uh, they've been marginalized a lot by the mainstream uh, because they tend to have longer songs and because they tend to be inaccessible. And they're a pretty nerdy rock band as far as rock bands go. Um, but you have to give Those them credit. Those are the best rock bands. Exactly. The nerdy ones. The nerdy ones. Um, and you have to give them credit, uh, at the very least, for sticking it out uh, and standing each other for all these long years. And with the release of this new record, still proving that they can still put out some amazing albums. Um, so I want to just kind of set the stage a little bit, very briefly, because there's okay. so much to talk about. Um, okay, actually, uh, can I ask a, a dumb question yeah. real quick? Please. Uh, when you were talking about how uh, Neil joined the band in, in what, 74? 74, yeah. Um, did they have any albums, like, pre-Neil, or was it sort of like uh, they were still kind of finding themselves and then and then Neil joined in? Because I know that he's, like, the lyricist in the... Kind he of the main, yep. the main uh, guy on at least like from the songwriting point of view. So I just was kind of wondering. Right. Usually, what you'll find in liner notes for Rush albums is music by Geddy Lee, bass player and lead vocals, and um, Alex Lifeson, who's the guitarist and also does vocals. Uh, and lyrics are usually written by Neil Peart. And um, they did have a drummer um, before Neil, John Rutsey, and. Um, so John Rutsey uh, was kind of friends with uh, Getty and Alex growing up, and um, he was more of a straight-ahead sort of rock drummer, and um, he also had some health problems, which caused him to retire from touring uh, very early on. So uh, their self-titled debut, uh, Rush, was uh, with John Rutsey, and then their first album with Neil was their second album, which is Fly By Night, which was released in 1975. And I've got a link to the Wikipedia article on the Rush discography in the show notes, the extensive discography. So like I said... One of the great things about Rush is that because they have such a long career, they've gone through these different periods. And um, when you look at them through the years and you kind of take a bird's eye view, you've got their sort of bluesy Zeppelin-inspired beginnings at the, uh, in the, uh, the mid-70s. And then towards the end of the 70s, uh, starting with 2112 and uh, Farewell to Kings and Hemispheres in particular, they really started to get into the, the progressive uh, Rush that's my favorite rush the really long songs the epic tracks um you know 2112 with it with its 20 minute opening suite um that's my favorite rush and then as they transitioned uh moving pictures came out in 81 which is probably their most uh well-known record and what i would recommend most people start with if you've never heard rush before that's got tom sawyer and yyz and red barchetta and uh everything on there and then as the 80s progressed they sort of 
uh, started to get more into their synth period, and um, which was indicative of what was going on in the 80s. And uh, so a lot of synthetic sounds, a lot more. Uh, the keyboards were much more prominent, and the, it was less guitar-driven, which has been controversial. It still is controversial uh, to this day with fans because the music kind of softened a little bit and got a little bit jazzier, uh, perhaps, and a little bit less towards the, the rush of the 70s. And then, you know, as the pendulum swings, uh, once the 90s hit, they started to swing back uh, to their more aggressive rock roots um, with counterparts and uh, Roll the Bones, not in this order, and Test for Echo, and then Vapor Trails. Um, and I should mention that after Test for Echo came out and after their tour, Neil Peart's uh, wife and daughter died very um, suddenly and very, uh, like, within a year of each other. And when that happened, uh, the band went on immediate, immediate hiatus for, I think, four years. And um, they were pretty much shut down. And then uh, after... Neil actually went on like a 55,000-mile trek by motorcycle across continents, uh, literally. And eventually, when he was done riding uh, four years later, he felt that he might possibly be able to come in and uh, make a new record. And the result of that was Vapor Trails, which came out in 2002, uh, which is a record I enjoy and has some strong tracks on it. Um, and then their first full studio album, following that was Snakes and Arrows, which came out in 2007. And I wasn't a huge fan. That was the first album that came out uh, while I was a fan. I've only been a fan for a few years. Uh, and I saw them on the Snakes and Arrows tour, and it's a good record, and I like quite a few songs on that record, but to me, that's kind of almost like their Christian rock album. And I don't mean that to offend anybody, but it's, I just say that because it's, the lyrics are the most, most faith-based. Um, of their entire repertoire and uh, for me it's not it's a good record but it's not one of their strongest records you know certainly not up to par with their earlier work um, and so Clockwork Angels came out five years later just uh, last week on June 12th and for me I could not be as a Rush fan as a pretty hardcore Rush fan I could not be more happy with this record uh, just in terms of the musicianship and the quality of the production and the songwriting uh, it's a concept record, um, so it kind of harkens back to 2112 in that way. It's a concept record, so the imagery is just fantastic. It's got that whole kind of steampunk vibe to it, um, musically as well as lyrically. And um, a lot of times, because there are so many Rush songs, it's hard to wrap your mind around them. You know, we've kind of talked before about how you have to spend a lot of time with a band or even just a record or even just a song sometimes to really wrap your ears around it and to fully understand it. And um, so back before, when I was a casual fan, I decided that what I was going to do was listen to all of the Rush albums in chronological order. And I think it was, that was the only way that I was going to be able to get a good enough grasp on the discography to be able to call myself a real, uh, or at least a serious, serious fan. And so not all of the, and I still don't know all of the songs by heart, and there are still like, you know, songs on Test for Echo and Counterparts and Roll the Bones, Presto, and Hold Your Fire, that sort of late, 90, late uh, 80s, early 90s period where I don't know all the songs, um, and I just know what, in my opinion, are the good ones. But this album is an album that I digested and enjoy from start to finish, and in my opinion, there are no weak tracks. I have my favorite tracks, um, but really, this is why I couldn't, uh, I had a hard time picking a favorite. 
uh, because every song on the record is just so strong, and um, it's really amazing how these guys have been able to uh, put out such a high-caliber record, high-caliber record, um, this late in their career. And I won't say it's as good. I don't want to set anybody's expectations too high in case any Rush fans haven't heard it yet. But I wouldn't say it's on par with Twenty One Twelve or Hemispheres, which is my favorite. Um, but it's certainly up there. And it's definitely the best record um, they've put out in years, uh, in my opinion. And let's see, I think I'll leave it at that and let you guys uh, carry the discussion from here. And then I'll jump in. Okay. Um, or we can I'll, not. I'll take a shot at <laughs> this one. <laughs> no, no, no. It's, it's worth talking because, uh, I mean, I, I'm not, I can't say I'm a Rush fan. But I also can't say I really actively dislike them. Mm-hmm. They're just they've been there. I know, like you know, the, the radio songs, like Tom Sawyer, right. uh, Spirit of Radio, I think, yep. or, mm-hmm. which is the, uh, Free Will. Yep. And yeah, you know, they've been there. They've always been there. Um, mm-hmm. So this is the first time I've actually sat down and listened to a Rush album. And I don't know. This this is probably not a good starting point. <laughs> I'll tell you I that. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there probably. and I'm listening to this. Yeah. Well, I mean, one thing that struck me is because all the Rush songs I know are very are rather varied, and I got the sense listening to this that it's a lot a lot of the tracks. This may have been intentional because it is a concept album and they're doing like the you know, the sweeping thing. But like, uh, there's there's what, what twelve songs in here, yeah. And the only two that stuck that stuck out at me were uh, the Wreckers okay. and the Garden. Well, I wish them well too. Was a little. But a lot of them were just really very similar sounding, very dense, very well executed, but very um, heavy. A lot of them, it, it seemed like they're all kind of in the same key, same general key and tempo, mm-hmm. which I I'm just like, and like I I really could produce some variation on this, um, and that, that that's just it. Uh, I do have one other thing, one question though. Sure. What, what about the voice of Getty Lee? How how did it get so high? I, I wonder if he speaks like an ordinary guy. How did it? He does speak like an ordinary guy. Um, well, I mean, I think you could probably pick his voice. <laughs> I'm, I'm, that's a that's a that's a that's a bit from a pa- that's a bit from a pavement song. I was wondering if oh, I okay. get that. <laughs> um, okay, so let not. me address let me address a couple things here. So, I totally agree that this might not. This is not the. The record, even though I love this record and I think it's one of their strongest, this is probably not the record I would recommend a non-Rush fan if you're going to uh, dip your toes in or dive headfirst into the world of Rush. Uh, I would recommend Moving Pictures, which is their most well-known record. Like I said, it's got Tom Sawyer, all the quote-unquote hits. Uh, it's only seven tracks long. Um, at that point, they had moved away from all of the epically long tracks. I think the longest track on there is the camera eye which is i think about nine minutes but still nowhere nowhere near 2112 length um and i kind of went through i don't know how many times you had a chance to listen to the to the record rich but um i also had one the first time i listened to it there were tracks that uh grabbed me right away and there were other tracks that took a lot longer for me to shall we say memorize and get to know uh caravan and bu to bu to be um, short for brought up to believe, uh, were released probably at least a year ago now, uh, before the Time Machine tour. So those two tracks were familiar to me. And then Rushes can be difficult because there are hooks in there, but because the music is so dense, 
they can be very difficult to pick out and you do have to spend a lot of time with it. Um, Wish Them Well is obviously a track that has, um, it's much more vocal driven and it is a lot easier, you know, because the chorus is so memorable, it's a lot easier to listen to it once and then be like, oh, okay, I know how this song goes, I like it or dislike it. But I totally agree with, um, especially the middle of the record with like the Anarchist, Carney's Halo Effect, uh, The Wreckers and Headlong Flight, those tracks the hooks are a lot more subtle uh, and not subtle in terms of power but subtle in terms of you have to spend some time with them before you understand the songs uh, because Rush writes very complex pieces and they can lots of times they can transition between multiple different time signatures and keys and everything all within the same song and what makes them so great is that they can do that and still make it very listenable but it can be alienating to the casual user um, so I totally understand where you're coming from there. And if um, if you enjoyed a few of the tracks, I recommend spending some time with the other ones. And I think that eventually you'll, they'll uh, be elevated uh, to the same level. And then uh, with Getty Lee's voice, I give it another try. Ahead. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't. I have no problem with Getty Lee's voice. Don't worry about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know that a lot of people do, and um, you know, even the band themselves say that you either either hate Rush or you love Rush. And uh, it's hard to find a middle ground. And Getty Lee's voice is a a sticking point for a lot of people because it is. I think it's classified as a high tenor. Um, and it has. It was very intense uh, in the early years. I think that the highest note that Getty Lee ever hit uh, on a Rush record is in Cygnus X1, which is from Farewell to Kings, and I believe that was from 1977. Uh, but I think I don't know what it is. It's like a C or a C sharp, but it's like extremely high pitched. But what I would say to folks that have a problem with the voice, I mean, if you really can't do it, you know, that's fine. I don't fault you for it. It's a unique voice, and it's not for everybody. But what I would say is that it has mellowed in recent years uh, because he can't just can't hit those high notes like he used to anymore. Um, so if you listen to 2112 and some of the early stuff and you were like, oh, God, I can't deal with this, um, I would recommend, you know, start with moving pictures, and then as the years go on, and especially with the, the modern rock era in the 2000s. His voice has mellowed a lot more, and it's still distinct, um, but it is uh, perhaps a lot less grating to those that, uh, that think of it as such. All I can say is, I, one of these days I'm going to have to pick... Uh, there's now, have you ever heard of Per Ubu? No. If we're talking distinctive vocalist, I'll have to throw a Per Ubu album in as a pick, because David Tom... If, anyone who thinks... Uh, Getty Lee has a rough, has a hard voice to listen to. Needs to listen to David Thomas. That's an odd voice. Um, yeah. Like I said, yeah, I have no problem with Getty Lee's voice. Just, I'm gonna have to definitely give this another try. Maybe I'll try moving pictures first. I'm not. I know that there's something there, but eh, it, it it just felt a little samey on the record, with except for like the couple standout tracks. So mm-hmm. I'll definitely give it another shot. I only have got a chance to give like one real serious listen. Yeah, well, that's pretty good. That's more than I can ask for most Rush fans. I mean, it took me months, you know, to get it, too. So, And I wanted to be a fan. <laughs> how, about, how about you, Matt? Okay. I, I, I can see what um, Andrew's talking about with the, the months to be a fan thing, because, I mean, not so much with... Well, I guess the, the Sparks thing that I've already told that story of, of too, but I was also thinking of the show uh, Home Movies, which... Like was one of the early things on Adult Swim, and it was basically before the things that I liked. So a lot of times I would 
turn it on in the in, in the background and go like, oh, when is this going to be over? And then eventually I started actually like kind of paying attention and ended up really, really, really liking the show. So I can kind of I can kind of uh, see where uh, Andrew's coming from with that and Rush. So right. Like uh, Rich, I've never really sat down and listened to Rush before. Mm-hmm. Um, I've kind of I've known them. I've you know heard the the, the radio singles, of course. Um, but in terms of actually being all like, okay, I am going to sit down and listen to a Rush record. I never have. Right. Um, like I think the pl- closest thing is is you know listening to um, I guess I think it was Vapor Trails at my college station. Just kind of like basically kind of going through as a music director, you know picking out, you know, what songs if any to play, and I, I don't... I, I think we added it to the rotation, but I don't... I don't remember anything, you know, song-wise, because it was just sort of like, you know... There was a lot of stuff I added to rotation, you know what I mean? It's like... Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but, like, in general, I liked it. Like, I thought, like, with uh, Caravan, I thought the, the mix was a little muddy. Okay. But otherwise, um, like, and it seemed that, like, that muddiness kind of um, like maybe in the first track or two was kind of there, and then it kind of went away and got a lot clearer and better sounding. I, I, and I mean better from a technical standpoint, you know, or at least sure. to my ears, you know. Um, I like I dig the bass, which I I kind of get the impression that saying you know, hey, the bass in Rush is pretty cool is kind of like saying that about Primus. <laughs> yeah. Um. So you know, there's that. Um. It's like. Uh, it was kind of funny that you mentioned the Anarchist because that was one of the tracks that I really liked. Nice. That was like one of the ones that really like kind of like popped out and like you know slapped me around the face and said, "Hey, listen to me." Mm-hmm. So and I, I liked the riff, the tempo, the the strings at the end were, were real cool too. I thought so. Yeah. Um, I also thought it was really interesting that you said that. Uh, what was it? Um, the the last record was it Snakes and Arrows? Snakes and Arrows, yeah. Okay, yeah, I, I remember, I thought it was interesting that you said that, that was their, uh, kind of their more, you know, faith-based record, I guess. Um, just because, I mean, like, the, the concept of uh, Clockwork Angels, I went through and read the story, and it seemed pretty clearly to me about, like, a uh, uh, the narrator or main character or whatever you want to call him, you know, growing to, to reject faith and put aside faith and... Mm-hmm go to a, you know, a, a secular humanist sort of point of view. Right. And so I thought it was kind of interesting that it, you can kind of, I guess, but per- potentially see the album, the two albums as kind of bookends. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, I've only, uh, it came with a awesome digital uh, liner notes uh, in iTunes, and I've only read, I think, like the first half of the album's lyrics. Um, but I think what I mean, there are undoubtedly some faith-related themes, you know, brought up to believe, Clockwork Angels and stuff, in uh, this album. But I think that what makes the difference for me is that they're kind of less explicit. Whereas in Snakes and Arrows, you had uh, songs like Faithless. Um, let me see what else here. Oh, I've got to go through all these live albums to get back. Snakes and Arrows live. <laughs> and then Snakes and Arrows. Okay. So on Snakes and Arrows, you've got tracks... Uh, Armor and Sword, Working Them Angels, Faithless, Hope, you know, all the way the wind blows, they're all kind of um, very faith-oriented, uh, you know, which is totally cool, and it's still a good record, but um, I prefer it to be a little bit less in-your-face 
um, I guess, with the, with the faith-related lyrics. Um, let's see, what else did you talk about? Oh, the bass playing. So, yeah, the great thing about, one, another great thing about Rush is that um, they are a musician's band. And, um, oh, I actually need to put a link to this, but there's a great documentary called Beyond the Lighted Stage, which just came out uh, in the last year or two. And it's a fantastic documentary, great interviews and insight into with the producers and everything. And, um, you know, they say that if you can play a Rush song, you can play pretty much anything else. And for this record, I mean, all of them have had great uh, instrumental prowess, but this album, I think, is one of their strongest. And when you talk about the bass in particular... Um, you know, for me as a bass player, Getty Lee is just you know the top, top of the top, and uh, Seven Cities of Gold is probably I think some of his best bass work to date. Uh, it just opens with that really funky bass. It's also one of the funkiest Rush, rush tracks uh, without losing any power. Uh, so that's another one of my favorites. Would be Seven Cities of Gold. Um, yeah. So I'm glad you guys uh, enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, like I think for me, like, um, I, and I kind of want to check out more Rush, but I kind of. Uh, I don't really see myself being a huge fan or anything, mm -hmm. but I think it's kind of funny because, like, my friend Janet, who we've talked about a couple uh, shows ago, uh, when she mentioned the Fiery Furnaces on the live record show, um, it's uh, kind of funny because I've had a conversation with her uh, about The Residents, where for her, it's, it's really funny to me because she likes a lot of um, really heavily Residents-inspired stuff. Like, she's the one who got me into the knife. And, I mean, the fiery furnaces themselves are also really residential. But, I mean, like, with the knife, I mean, there have been times when I've, like, had, had my iPod on and I'm, like, trying... And I'm, like, having to wait in for the vocals to kick in to figure out if it's a, a knife song or a late-era resident song. Yeah. So, you have that, but, but, like, she doesn't actually really like the residents all that much. Even though she loves, you know, all the stuff they've, like, influenced... And I kind of have that a little bit... I can kind of see myself having that with Rush, too. I like Rush okay, but I mean, like, I'm, like, listening to stuff, and I'm, like, kind of, like, going, like, oh, yes, like, this this band is clearly really influential, but I'm being more into the, the influences, I guess, you know? And it's yeah. kind of... It's kind of an, an interesting thing being, you know, I guess having the shoe on the other foot from my uh, conversations with Janet about the residents. Right. Nice. Well, that's pretty much that's better than I was expecting for both of you. Hmm. So I'll have to. I'm just uh, kidding. Rush suck. No. <laughs> I guess. Um, so we had some serious feedback. Yeah, and, and the episode, feedback is my fault too, because I I I, th I think mostly because like um, last show we were talking about Rush a bit, um, and I made a I made a lame joke. <laughs> I, I I was kind of riffing on the whole like Ayn Rand. Uh, Capital R Reason, and I think it was Vapor Trails, now that I think about it. I think that was the, the album that I was looking at at my college station that had, like, Capital R Reason in the liner notes, and I was sort of, like, riffing on them being objectivists. And uh, my friend Monty, uh, who turned out to be a big Rush fan, and I, didn't, I don't think I even really realized that, although he is another bassist, so I, I think it, you know, I think, you know, once you pick up the, the bass, they probably give you a, you know, your bass, your bass strings, and a copy of 2112. Yeah. <laughs> And he just kind of pointed out that the, the objectivist thing is a, uh, in his words, an overblown urban myth. So, um, yeah. do you want me to read I mean, a little bit of his email? Or yeah, if you could, Matt, that would be great because I, um, I greatly, as a Rush fan, to another, to a fellow Rush fan, I greatly appreciate this feedback, and I'm, 
I totally, I don't disagree with anything Monty said, um, and he was a lot clearer in his explanation of the whole thing that uh, objectivism thing is definitely overblown. And he, uh, Monty did point out in that Rolling Stone interview that I mentioned that Neil Peart did distance himself um, as you know the objectivism was something he was interested in uh, in his twenties and has moved away from since. Uh, but yeah, Matt, if you uh, you probably have a better handle on this email because it's so full of good stuff and good insight uh, so if you have any parts that you'd like to to point out that'd be cool sure yeah like um because he like uh and this is this is monty talking here um it is true that the band's lyricist um neil uh was influenced by some of Rand's writings notably the story anthem which gave a name to their publishing imprint and inspired two songs uh the early track anthem and the better known uh 2112 suite Anthem is not one of her, uh, Ayn Rand's, um, objectivist philosophy works. It's a story about the danger, or about, one, the danger of the oppression of the individual at the hands of authoritarian collectivist societies, and two, the, the quote-unquote crime the protagonist committed was the discovery of critical thinking. And Monty says, I don't have a problem with any of this, and I doubt that you would either, which... It's true, and I mean, I think it is, you know, important, and this is me talking again, uh, I think it is important, important to um, remember that Ayn Rand did come uh, from communist Russia, so I mean, that that does kind of give her, or uh, give a little bit of background into her thinking as like, you know, a, you know, grand scale rejection of uh, communist thought. Right. Um, let's see. And this is Monty again. Uh, that being said, the lyricist is in, influenced by libertarian thought, and he uses uh, Monty uses a little L libertarian, not capital L, meaning the party. Um, however, and this is Monty again. However, he is influenced by the left libertarian school of thought, one you don't really see represented in the U.S. really, and its main jam is the rights of the individual should be paramount in the matters of law and social justice. It's very anti-corporate because it recognized that moneyed interests can also oppress the individual just like collectivist government can, etc., etc. I've done some reading up on that strain of thought, Amanti again, uh, and while I think that some of the tenants are a little naive overall, I can't say that there is anything that I find particularly objectionable and find and quite a few of my own views are comfortably rec represented in that school of thought. And the Wikipedia uh, article on the subject is pretty interesting. And I'll, I'll uh, throw that in the show notes as well. But again, a libertarian influence does not make one an objectivist, which is scary and horrible. Um, however, and this is still Monty, uh, however, unlike many rock bands, I don't think it's unfair to apply a quote-unquote label to them because listening to Rush music is very much like reading Kurt Vonnegut novels, which is to say, remember when you got your third or fourth Vonnegut no novel and you go, oh, I get it. These aren't discrete works of fiction. I'm just soaking in this guy's worldview. And their stuff is very similar. And if I were to apply a label to them that I could uh, call them a band of smart, secular humanists. They are very unambiguous about their uh, feelings on religion, quote, or uh, parenthetically, not fans. <laughs> Uh, powerful money interests and things like that. Most of their content is about the individual and the dangers posed to said by religious oppression, manipulation by the media, anti-intellectualism, war, pointless global conflict, groupthink, and etc. They've written unambiguously pro-gay songs. Uh, hell, they were writing songs about the inherent the inherent danger of globalization with regard to capitalism in 1986, i.e. the big money. 
a little forward thinking no um, let's say it again just because someone's interested in the rights of the individual does not make them a Randian I pr- me speaking I prefer Randroid I think that, that one's just a nice a, a, a nicer term uh, this is Monty yeah. again <laughs> also not everything that Rand wrote was scary objectivist shit and knowing enough about some of your points of view he's referring to me here uh, I think you would ultimately approve or or otherwise tip your hat to the messages that they were trying to espouse, meaning Rush. And any attempt by the right to co-op Rush is about as misguided as the famous time when Reagan played Born in the USA at a campaign event. So, there that that's uh, that's about uh, it for Monty on Rush, although he closes with... Uh, Many things can be said with, about that band, but, but that they are idiots either, either musically or philosophically are not among them. And they are not fucking objectivists. <laughs> yeah. That was most okay, of Monty's I, letter, so I just, um, you know, I know very little about political philosophy and, and Ayn Rand and that sort of thing, so I wanted to thank Monty for his, uh, his input and his feedback, uh, and you should all follow his example, and um, certainly no offense taken, and uh, much appreciated. Yeah, and I, I'm sorry for making my stupid joke because without knowing anything of what I was saying, as it turns out, because like basically, you know, like like Monty kind of says, I I basically had that you know overblown urban myth of you know Rush albums basically being you know Atlas shrugged with you know better bass lines. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for writing in, Monty. I like that. I like- I think that was a whole episode right there. Wow. But yeah, thanks to Monty for that. Well, I think it's good to, to, you know, kind of, you know, do corrections and, you know, like not let our bullshit stand, you know, honestly. I, I, I encourage people writing in and calling us on shit, by, by which I mean me, because, you know, it's usually my, my own shit. Uh, I guess we're ready to move on to the next pick, if we have any time left, <laughs> uh, which is uh, yours, Matt. Okie dokie. Um... Basically, I chose uh, a really great album uh, called uh, Pilfer Sure Lane by Tara Bush, the first girl on Mars. Um, let's hear a little bit of that first track right now. This is the first track from that album. Over the radio, can you read me? Basically, uh, it's kind of funny how I got into Tara Bush. It's uh, someone posted on Metafilter ages ago. I, I've I've uh, thrown the link in the show notes to her doing um, somewhere over the rainbow backwards, like mm-hmm. where she actually um, reversed the track. Learned or it's only the first line, but it's still pretty impressive. Uh, reversed the track, learned learned it phonetically, and then recorded it and then reverse the video. And she does really, really good. And again, that's in the show notes as well, so if you want to see, you know, see her uh, awe you there. Um, So I I was like, this lady is really cool. I'm going to look her up. And I did, and it turns out that she's like a hardcore, like, analog synth nerd, which I am too. 
and uh, in fact, her first the first release of her of this album uh, came with a it was a custom digipack with a diorama and an actual built-in synthesizer. Ooh, it's unfortunately it was completely sold out by the time that I found out about her. So <gasps> I, I I just have the the standard you know digital version that I bought from CD Baby. But I, I've I've thrown a link to the the, the fancy version if you want to see it because it's it's really really cool. It comes with like a steel plate and and leads and all that kind of stuff, and it's just like kind of amazing that you would have that in a in a record. Um, but aside from all the gigas, as it turns out, I just love 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 the music on here. Um, she's got an amazing voice. Uh, she's a great, you know, songwriter, and I, I'm pretty sure it's one where it's pretty much like all, you know, all her on the album. I, the the one from CD Baby didn't come with any liner notes or anything, so I just have the album or the you know the MP3s. But I, I'm pretty sure it's like just her, or maybe like you know one or two other people, and it's just like. It's so much up my alley anyway. So, you know, and the fact that it's just so amazing, it's 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 great. I just love this record. And she apparently has a new one coming out pretty, like, uh, in, um, you know, hopefully a few months. Uh, her Facebook said spring of 2012, which it kind of is now. So hopefully, mm-hmm. hopefully soon. So uh, what do you all think? I'm gonna let, I want to hear what Andrew thought about it first. I liked it. Um, I kind of had a, and again, my listening schedule has been kind of tight now, so I got to spend more time with it, obviously. But um, I kind of had a similar experience to you guys with Rush, and obviously this is much uh, different music. Um, but with the first track in particular, it felt like, despite being only you know four and a half minutes, it was very dynamic and had a lot of different sections. And like there was, you know, she was singing, and like okay, this is gonna be a, you know, female vocalist, you know, with a you know, pretty standard track, and then it, you know, would fade out, and then there would be some ambient parts and stuff, and I think that um, on my first listens, that made it difficult for me to keep my attention. Like, when I was driving, I tended to fade out and be like, crap, I was supposed to be listening to the song. Um, but I, I enjoyed it, what I, I enjoyed what I was hearing, it just um, kind of in the way that you guys struggled to, to kind of find a hook right away with Rush, um, I've even listened to you know a few of these tracks a few times, and I still can't tell you exactly how they go. Um, but that's not uh, to their discredit, obviously. It just means that I need to spend more time to build the relationship um, with them. But I like her voice, and um, I did listen to Get Drunk and Fuck, which I thought was uh, interesting and kind of took me by surprise. Um, I don't know anything about Tara Bush or her, uh, her personality or onstage persona, but... Uh, it was good. I got. I like. I have a thing for female vocalists, and um, I'd like to spend some more time with this one. Yeah, for what it's worth, I I almost chose uh, get drunk and fuck as the hook. Mm, and I like that she used an ampersand. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. No, no plus sign like uh, you plus your you are hand here. Now I, I I really love this. In fact, the first thing that came to mind listening to it was, and I'm surprised Andrew you didn't mention this. Yoshimi battles the pink robots. Oh yeah, I did. I can get that kind of vibe. I see that. Yeah, it's yeah. just that, that that very lush, very textured electronic, very lush, very textured, organic electronic sound. Because I think it, it, it's worth making note because 
a lot of what sounds on, especially early on in the record, are very sound very organic, even though they're electronic. Yeah, and I think you get that a lot with analog synths too. Is because yeah. I mean it's uh, unlike digital synths, they're even though they're electronic, there's a, a very much of a, a tactical sensation. I mean it's it's not just happening in a computer. It's like stuff actually going through transistors and shit. Yeah. Technical term. So, <laughs> so I, I was... I, I, it was a, a great experience listening to it. Very lush. Um, Get Drunk and Funk is definitely a high point. Um, and I would just say, I, I love her stage name. I mean, you know, Tara Bush, First Girl on Mars. That's just awesome right there. As soon as the, you, I saw that was... You mentioned it was just Tara Bush. I'm like, okay. Then I saw she's going by Tara Bush, first goal on Mars. I'm like, okay, sold. Yeah, I, This I, is going to have to suck for me to not like it, and, the, and it does not. Yeah. I, the funny thing is, I think she may have kind of dropped the first girl on Mars thing. I'm, 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 honestly, I'm not 100% sure, because a lot of her online presence now is just Tara Bush. I don't know. I, 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 I hope that she's still the first girl on Mars, because that... That is a great, a great, uh, a great stage name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to. Wonder, does she perform live? Because uh... I think she does. I've never seen her. Um, uh, I I don't really know her touring schedule or how that works. I know that she like she's um, shown up at some of the Moog fests in um, Ashland, uh, North Carolina, where the Moog factory is. Mm-hmm. And I think she's done some shows in L.A. where she lives half the time. She like. She like commutes between uh, the UK and LA. Like I think I think she's American, but I think her husband's British. Okay. So yeah, I, I tried looking her up on Wikipedia, and she's not on there. But according to her MySpace page, her location is in, in Wales. Oh, okay, yeah. In the UK. Oh. So it says there's terrorbush.com. Is that a real thing? Terrorbush.com. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know it's her site a, is analogsuicide.com. Mm-hmm. That's kind of her blog and stuff. Yeah, here's music and film from the world of Tara Bush and Maff Lewis. Yeah, that's her That's her husband. Ah, Mr. Lewis. So yeah, this is, it's really good. I, 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 I want to hear more from her, and I hope that new album comes out soon. Yeah, I've um, well, also I'm also posted a link to her SoundCloud in the show notes where there's a lot of um, unreleased stuff, and including actually a, a cover of, uh, it's only a minute long, of um, Our House by Madness. Hmm. Which, honestly, it's one of my least favorite things on her, which is surprising because I love her and I love Madness. But, you know, it's, it's still interesting and still worth checking out, and there's a lot of really cool things on there. I never liked the song Our House, I'm sorry. <laughs> Aw, you suck. Yeah, this isn't news. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm glad you like Tara Bush, and um, hopefully, you know, like, because she does seem to be very, very cult, like, you know, I mean, a lot of people don't know about her, and I mean, she doesn't have, like, a Wikipedia page or anything, mm-hmm. so I mean, hopefully, you know, hopefully, you know, more people will discover her and make her as huge as she as she deserves to be. Exactly. Well, I noticed that you uh, included uh, an outtake here, Matt. Is there any uh, special significance, or is it just really good? I just threw in because I thought it was like kind of cool. It's also on. Uh, she's got an EP uh, that sh- that uh, it's like three songs of um, 
for the benefit the uh, Bob Moog Foundation, and that's that's also the last track on that EP. I, I I just had it. I just thought it was cool. I was like, you know, if you guys like this as much as I do, you'll you'll appreciate having the outtake. Otherwise, I didn't get a chance to listen to it. So yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty track. Yeah. Other, I figured you know you'd either really like it or it'd be one more thing to delete. So either I'm way, I'm not deleting. I'm not deleting this. No way in hell. <laughs> Have you deleted anything, Rich, since we started this show? Pink and Eiffel 65. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> One from each of us. It's pretty good. Yeah, I think pink, pink was the only one I deleted. Hmm. Yes, yeah. So far, the Eiffel is the only thing I've deleted. Hmm. Hopefully, you're not going to delete Hot Chip because uh, I, I really like it. This is the my pick this week is the new Hot Chip album came out uh, last week or the week before. And it's called In Our Heads. And I first discovered Hot Chip sort of. They're, they're very linked with LCD Sound System. They share a member, well, shared a member since LCD Sound System broke up. Or, well, not even broke up. Just James Murphy said he doesn't want to do LCD Sound System anymore. It was really just him and various people that, you know, and whatever. Um, but the last year, not last year, a couple years back, Peter Serafinowicz, uh, the brilliant mind behind Look Around You, the mock science TV show from the BBC, and many other brilliant things. Peter Serafinowicz directed a music video for them for a song called uh, I Feel Better, which was hilarious, and the song was really good. So I, I get the album. The album's really good. Not incredible. See, half of it's like really, really, really good, and half it's just kind of medi- is, is okay, kind of just quiet. The, the half that's really good are the half that are like more bombastic, you know, if, if heartfelt electronic dance anthems. And the part that I'm not keen on are the more low-tempo songs. So, uh, In Our Heads, the first single that came out... Well, actually, the first single that came out for was Flutes, but Peter Serafinowicz directed another music video for them, the song called Night and Day, which features an appearance by the great Reggie Watts. Uh, I actually linked to that on the Crush on Radio site. There'll be a link to that video in the show notes as well. So it got my hopes up for the album. Then the, And I'm just not sure... as. And actually, you know, an example of the, the the single being not necessarily representative of the album. That's like the hard hard dance floor track, and the rest of it, I wasn't sure if it was going to be all dance floor or all mellow, except for that. And they hit exactly the right balance. It's everything that I liked about One Life Stand, their previous album, with none of the stuff I didn't like about One Life Stand, the previous album. <laughs> so this is the the uh, the song I'm picking though is. More representative of the album as a whole, and it's called Don't Deny Your Heart. And let's hear a little of that right now. Thanks, Rich. Rich. <laughs> yeah. I should put, I'll throw in a link to a look around you uh, video in the uh, show notes as well. <laughs> so, I, this is, this is my favorite track on the album. There, I don't really have a song that I, 
a not a, a, a song on the track on the album I don't like, just songs I like less. Yeah. And also, I just the whole album. It, most of it, it's most of it's just like love songs in one way or the other. That seems to be their thing. And I don't know. Maybe I'm just in like a love struck mood lately. Because but this show, the, the the lyrics just really hit me uh, this time, and I I I love this record. I can't get enough of it. And I, I hope you uh, you folks at least uh, enjoy it. Good man. I, I I loved it. I I really did. I um, it's like I thought like don't deny your heart was just really hooky, great sounds, driving, just really really dug it. And I it's the entire album was that way really. I I didn't really have anything that I didn't like. Um, I I guess like you like, just stuff that I didn't like as much, but nothing that really even really leaped out at me as saying I don't like this as much you know what I mean it's like like if you ask me what like the weaker tracks were I couldn't tell you um I also thought that it was like kind of funny that um Night and Day which is I I really like too but that song is totally sexy back you know the uh Justin Timberlake I know I've never actually heard that like I Uh, didn't not really complaining I, I've thrown a I've thrown a link in the show notes. Like I actually actually the um, future sex love sounds that that Justin Timberlake album. Like if if we had done this about two years ago, two three years ago, that totally would have been my pick for the guilty favorites. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason why it wasn't this uh, for when we actually did the show is that I just I don't listen to that album very much anymore. But I still think that it's kind of kind of what we were talking about before. What I was the. Uh, you know, no shame in really great pop music, and I think that uh, that actually was a really great pop album. Aside from the "Will I Am" track, which just sounded like the Black Eyed Peas, and nothing should sound like the Black Eyed Peas. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the Black Eyed Peas. No. <laughs> but, Least of all them. Yeah, but I I loved the Hot Chip album. I I thought it was really great. Um, so yeah, I I, I, I dug it. I, I I am pro hot chip. It's one of those ones where, honestly, I just don't have a whole whole heck of a lot to say about it that I liked it that much. It was just sort of like, why why talk? Let's just listen to the damn record. Yeah, it speaks for itself. That said, <laughs> that said, yeah, let's talk about it some more. I agree with Matt. Um, I had actually uh, picked up this record uh, a couple of weeks ago before. Uh, well, I, th- I think I knew that Rich had been getting into it prior to this episode and then um i happened to come across it and um i also and but i only started listening to it in the last couple days um but i really enjoyed it as well i really like the album art um this is kind of out of my typical genre um so i kind of had a similar reaction as i did with tara bush in the sense that um i enjoyed it while i was listening to it but i can't uh yet tell you how each song goes i just haven't gotten to that point yet um, but this was a little bit more accessible to me because it was more uh, dance oriented as opposed to listening oriented. And so while I was listening to it, you know, I was grooving, you know, in the car and bobbing my head and stuff. Uh, so I really enjoyed uh, this album as well. And um, looking forward to spending more time with it. Again, I agree uh, with uh, everything that Matt said. And uh, it's a good one. I'm glad I have it. Yeah, I'm, actually, I'm seeing them play live in Philly uh, next month. How many people Which, uh, are in this band? Uh, a few. I, there's a lot. In the show notes, I'm going to be linking to a live video of them on some British TV show performing uh, Don't Deny Your Heart. Yeah. And, 
Yeah, I'm going to check their Wikipedia article just to see what the official lineup is. Do, 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 do. And, yeah, there are, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six. Um, yeah, six, six official members. It used to be five official members, but then uh, Rob Smelton uh, joined the band uh, when they were touring in 2010 and became an official member this year. Uh, Al Doyle is the uh, also played guitar, bass, synth, and percussion for LCD Sound System. Um, and yeah, they've had a couple uh, guest members um, for albums, but yeah, that it's it's a six. They're six. They're a sextet now. Are there? Uh, is it all? Because I'm looking at their picture here on their Wikipedia page, and it seems like almost all of them are standing in front of a keyboard. Are there any? Mm-hmm. Uh, I see some guitar amps in the back though too. Is it just like you know different instrumentation for different songs and stuff, or is it all mostly keyboard driven? It, they're, they're mostly they're mostly keyboard driven. They've got some guitar and, and live bass. Uh, I'll, I'll check the uh, the video in the show notes. So okay, we like copy and paste that into the robot here, and uh, you can see for yourself later. Um, you know, there, there's a live drummer. There's there's live guitar on that, and uh, yeah, gotcha. Yeah, so yeah, they're they. They, they, but they do have a lot of synthesizers, and I'm watching the live video, and, I, and it, it's it's uh, it's borderline pornographic. I'm I'm trying I'm looking at it like, oh my god, that's a Moke little fatty. Oh my god, that's an SH101. Oh wow, I want one of those so bad. <laughs> <laughs> and by the, the the two minute mark, you're just like, okay, I've spent and, and close the video and <laughs> and not off. <laughs> <laughs> Good night, everybody. <laughs> We're going to hell again. Oh yeah. Oh, they also did a, a collaboration with Peter Gabriel uh, recently, a while back. Nice. It's a cover of a song by Vampire Weekend, which are a band I've never bothered to check out. <laughs> they're okay. All right. They're they're like Vampire Weekend is a band that. I enjoy. Um, I'm not a huge fan or anything, but like, they're. I guess they're to me. They're like maybe a notch or two above like pleasant, pleasant enough wallpaper. Okay. Which I know isn't exactly the the highest uh, highest recommendation, I guess, in the world. But there you go. Well, I guess that depends on the music. If you're Talking like about an ambient record, and you're saying it's like good wallpaper music, then I think you're you succeeded. Yeah, this is an yeah. ambient though. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not it's not music for airports, basically. Right. Mm. But I think I think with the thing with like Vampire Weekend is that it, it turns out that they really, really, really dig Graceland by Paul Simon. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, they're originally a, a, a quartet. Uh, because their their live drummer uh, joined for uh, the 2012 tour and I guess the album. So okay, well, now we know. For a minute, I thought you were going to say that, you oh, know their, oh, their no, live no, no, drummer wait, split I'm, into I'm two people. I'm miscounting. No, now that now they're they're septet. They were a quintet. Then they joined to get the two other members. I'm so I can't count today. Ah. I'm sorry I asked. <laughs> there, there, there is some non-zero number of band members in Hot Chip. Let's just leave it at that. There's at least one of them. Yes, there, it's a, it's a Schrodinger Schrodinger's band um, sort of deal. You know, 
it, they're quantum waveform of band members, and they don't actually coalesce into a, into a, a tangible number unless you look at it. Yes. They're, they're, they're somewhere between LCD sound system and the polyphonic spray. Okay. Uh, I think they have less members than LCD sound system had uh, when they were touring. Oh, well, I, I just think of LCD sound system as just uh, James Murphy anyway, really. Okay, I guess you want to be technical, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. I mean, it's it's from like I don't know if like because I mean I always kind of got the impression that he was kind of the band, sort of like sort of like Nine Inch Nails. Like they have like lots of touring members, but I always think of the band as just Trent. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. According to Wikipedia, Murphy played the majority of the instrumental parts on LCD Sound Systems albums himself. So yeah, yeah. so yeah, he 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 is the band with a bunch of uh, friends who play, play live with him. Yeah, yeah. So I guess if if we haven't uh, hit Syracuse length already with all the rush talk, uh, we can talk about our topic. Sorry, this week, which is, <laughs> <laughs> we're nerds. Yeah, that's our, that's that's our excuse for everything. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's such a good one. True. So we're going to talk kind of like how how we listen to music, which is sort of we I thought we were, we were probably going to hit early on, but I'm glad we waited. Who wants to start? <laughs> I well, guess I will because I go ahead, Matt. Okay, yeah, it's like for for what it's worth, I thought it was like kind of funny. I threw I threw this out on the uh, Crush on Radio uh, Facebook page, sort of like we did with the other two topics, and we got absolutely no one to to reply, not even with the smart ass with my ears, duh, type of joke. Ouch. So <laughs> shame on all of you. So I guess this this isn't. Uh, th- this does not seem like a a uh, community response type of topic, but that's okay. I think it's a very important topic. Well, yeah, but I think it's just one that it's like not one that I guess people really like feel feel compelled to you know write in about. I suppose yeah, it's it's sort of it's a hard it's a hard thing to talk about because you don't really put a lot of conscious thought into the way you listen to music, or at least I know I don't. I fully admit that I'm a really bad music listener. I I do a lot of my listening on my iPhone. At, I'm, I'm working, I'm pausing stuff here and there to deal with actual real-life things. And I don't have much time anymore to sit down, say, at home with a decent decent headphones or a decent speaker system. And I certainly don't have a really high-quality uh, headphones or a high, really high-quality speaker system. Um, not that I think that makes a difference, but... Uh, and well, it kind of does. Just, I mean, to a point. Yeah. I mean, I'm not... We, there's those Looney Bin audiophiles who'll spend like five hundred dollars on a uh, cable to plug their uh, speakers into their you know two hundred thousand dollar amplifier because the it, it, and the cable's worth five hundred dollars because it's been demagnetized and vacuum sealed and degaussed and uh, contains uh, it was made with the uh, the blood of. Uh, a hypersensitive uh, hearing uh, child uh, from Cambodia, and wow. <laughs> I should find a link to uh, some of the absolute nonsense audiophile uh, bullshit. Yeah, and uh, I know that even like James Randi has like debunked some of that. You know, where it's like this: this is a special, special cable that you know is five thousand dollars and. Is made from God's tears. <laughs> yeah, it's the same thing with HDMI cables. Like, 
you know, with, you got the forty dollars ones in Best Buy, but you can get perfectly good ones for literally two dollars on something like Monoprice. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, is, I mean, a cable is a cable. I mean, there, there is you know something to be said for gauge of cable. Yeah, but I mean that's um, you know even like a really high gauge cable, you know one of them you know real thick motherfuckers. You know, it's not going to be a, a $500 monster cable in price. It's, you know. And, and I mean, honestly, for, for, for most listeners, you know, you don't need that kind of super high gauge uh, studio cable. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, I mean, honestly, like, things like monster cables and whatever are a complete scam. Just, just get the normal cheap shit. As someone who used to work for Radio Shack, I can doubly vouch for that. Yeah, we were, I mean, we, we push monster cables because we got a commission. Right. I don't work for Radio Shack anymore. <laughs> yeah, and I mean that's kind of the thing is, is I mean you know, I, I've you know heard you know I mean like I'm you know heard that from so many you know audio engineers that I've worked with. I've I've dabbled in audio engineering a little bit. Um, I mean, you have, you know, Rich who worked at the store that sold the things. We're all telling you that, you know, as long as, as long as the, the cable's not like, you know, the string that you tie, you know, between two tin cans, you're probably fine. Yeah. Yes, because for since the string doesn't conduct electricity. Yes, yes. I'm sorry, we, we fell into a huge rat hole there. <laughs> long story short, monoprice.com, buy all your cables and audio needs there. Yeah. Here we go. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I especially find it funny with like the HDMI's where it's it's all ones and zeros, people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, anyway, anyway. Are you guys averse to MP3s? No, not at all. Yeah, me neither. As long I'll as it's you know above one ninety two. Yeah, give or take. I mean, I I usually do uh, when I'm ripping my own MP3s. I do uh, VBR. Hmm. Um. I think I don't know what the actual in certain circles what I rip at is known as V zero. Yeah, and I don't know exactly what that entails, but I, it sounds good enough to me. I do have uh, some stuff in flack, mostly bootlegs. Uh, you know, like the uh, I do the Boogie Boys Basement Devo archive deal. And when we're burning, we burn, you know, burning stuff to CD and copying stuff between, like, if you're, for, like, actual, it's hard to explain. There's a purpose for, point for flack. And if I get, getting a bootleg, I'll take it in flack and I'll keep it in flack and I'll just make an MP3 version if I want to listen to it in iTunes. Which is, you know, and some people are, just heard me say that and they're going, why would you do that, you horrible person? <laughs> Not because I'm doing a downloading a bootleg, but because I'm converting a flack to an MP3 to listen to it. Right. Yeah. Honestly, I do that. I, I, I'll I sometimes get flacks of bootlegs and I basically just like fire up Max immediately, dump it to MP3 because honestly, I mean, especially with a, a bootleg, a lot of times they're kind of shitty quality anyway. And right. I don't, I don't necessarily need lossless hiss. Yeah, it, it, it's one thing to downsample it to, to, to convert to MP3 for your own listening. It's one thing to convert to MP3 and then burn it to a CD to give to someone if it's something that's already such bad quality anyway. If that yeah. makes sense. 
So that's why, I mean, when I'm burning a CD for someone for a Boogie Boys basement, when I've got a small stack that I'm neglecting, I'm sorry, uh, you know, I just burn that straight up, uh, straight from the flex. And that that makes sense, yeah. Especially, too, is if, if the fella is going to uh, take your the, the CD that you send them in and uh, rip it as MP3 themselves, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. that way you, you're going lossless to lossy, not lossy to lossy, which, you know, ends up giving you artifacts and, and ugly. Yeah. Yeah. But again, I can never really tell the difference. Yeah, as long as, as long as they're, you know, not like 98 or something i like them to be at least 192 are you guys familiar with the uh, the itunes match upgrade trick uh, uh no I, I don't know if i am okay so I, i'm familiar with it but i can't use it because i have way too much music in my itunes library <laughs> oh dude okay so uh macworld back when uh itunes match first came out last year macworld jason snell over at macworld published an article about how to upgrade tracks to iTunes Match very quickly. And so, um, you guys probably know how iTunes Match works, but instead of uploading all of your songs to iCloud, um, it just scans your library, and anything that's already in the iTunes store uh, is just matched. So you can just listen to that version. Mm. And you can download um, the iTunes store versions are 256 uh, kilobytes per second MP3s. So, what you can do is you can create a smart playlist um, with these attributes, and this will be. There's a link to this in the show notes. But you need a, a smart playlist where the bit rate is less than 256, the media kind is music, and any of the following are true. Um, where you want the iCloud status to be matched and the iCloud status to be purchased. So what that's going to do is it's going to create a playlist of all of your low bit rate files, anything that's under 256, and uh, pretty much what you can do is as long as you set it up right, you can delete all of those files from the smart playlist. And then they'll be deleted, but they'll stay in your iCloud, and then you can re-download them from iCloud, and they'll be 256K versions. So if you've got a bunch of tracks and MP3s and stuff that are kind of poor quality, or like I had a bunch of like old stuff that like before I knew what MP3 or kilobytes per second meant, um, I had a bunch of low-quality stuff, so you just make the playlist and then delete and re-download them, it takes you know a couple minutes for like uh, it t- you know it takes a few seconds for like an album or or so. But it's really it's a very uh, useful trick. So there'll be a link to that MacWorld article in the show notes. Handy, yeah, very yeah. handy. Yeah, problem with that is again that I have way too much music in my library to use uh, iTunes. Well, not way too much. I have twenty six thousand one hundred nine music items. Oh, you want to break out the numbers, huh? Well, I, I'm not doing this just to uh, to do the, to, to compare dick sizes. <laughs> I think Matt's say it again. How many did you have? Because uh, you're limited for iTunes match to twenty five thousand non iTunes purchased songs. Right. And I have twenty six thousand. Uh, let, let's just I have twenty six thousand one hundred one hundred nine items, which are you know song items, and that's that's actually less than it was before. But once I got uh, of the Boogie Boys Basement Archive, I took a lot of my Devo bootlegs out of the collection because even I wasn't listening to them anyway. As for purchase stuff, this is going to make me look so bad. Oh boy, here we go. Five. <laughs> um, Shame on okay, you. It, okay, it, it's not counting um, the two episodes of Saturday Night Live that I bought off uh, iTunes. I have uh, 
429 items. Wow. So it, it could be worse. <laughs> there was just a, uh, there was a, was it on NPR or something? Talks about it on Amplified or on 5x5. Five five. Um, oh, no, sorry, 428, because I missed the, uh, the short Hotel Chevalier film by Wes Anderson that's in this playlist uh, as well. Sorry about that. They talked about um, this girl that worked, that works or was interning on, what do you call it? Uh, all, oh, songs all Songs Considered? considered? Did you see this? Yeah, yeah she had the, like. The girl who has like CDs. 12 records or something, right? Yeah, she yeah. has thousands and thousands of tracks, but has only bought like five CDs or something. Um, I don't know, yeah. but you're kind of uh, in that boat. Yeah, we 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 had this discussion already, and 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 I mean that's it's not entirely accurate too because I I bought stuff off of Amazon's MP3 store. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of that guy in that if I'm looking for something that I'm, and I'm dead set on buying it, and if I if I look on Amazon and it's like. Three bucks, and I look on iTunes, and it's nine nine ninety nine. And I go, well, screw that! I'm going to buy on Amazon. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, I don't care. I, I, my, my my money's a limited resource, you know. <laughs> I have. Um, I'm not too. Go ahead. Look what I bought from Amazon. I I don't really have an easy way to do that. Yeah. Amazon purchase history or whatever. Anyway, you go on. I'm sorry. That's okay. I was at uh, 16,716 back uh, in August of last year. And uh, then I purged a whole bunch of stuff and uh, got down to 12, 12,170, 12,000 about. And, uh, but I've already climbed back up to 13,778. So there's yeah, that. I, I, I fully intend to do some more purging in, in, in the, in the t- some stuff that I'm probably not going to listen to again. Now it's your turn, Matt. Um, I've actually been doing some iTunes work, and I've, I've, I close iTunes usually when I do the record just to, you know, free up a little bit of processor. Uh, but uh, So I don't have the exact number, but it was... Uh, when I was doing the iTunes work this week, uh, it was something like um, 135,000 songs. Woo! Wow. Yeah, that's pretty good. How many can you listen to at once? <laughs> All of Just them. Kidding. It All sounds like. <laughs> Do you guys okay, have the uh, the perfect EQ in iTunes? I don't. I don't believe in that nonsense. Oh, it's better than the regular one. I just have a flat EQ. Oh, I think it's better than the flat EQ. It's at least louder. <laughs> Which sure, not always better, but I think it still sounds good. I don't necessarily need that. Oh, I found my Amazon purchase history. Let's see, uh, sixteen albums I bought off of Amazon. So, yeah, like um, I, I I buy stuff off of Amazon, but I just dump it into the iTunes. So I I I don't really know, but it's I think it's kind of funny where sometimes it'll it'll like the CD will end up being cheaper. Like there's been a few where I've been like. Oh, I can get the actual physical CD for two bucks. Oh, I'm not yeah. talking about buying the actual physical CD. I'm just talking about the digital downloads on Amazon. Oh, yeah, oh yeah, I know, I know. I, I that that's what I mean. It's like I mean, like with the digital downloads, I do buy stuff from there too because a lot of times it will be cheaper. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's like sometimes like when I'm on Amazon, I'll be like, let's see, iTunes wants ten dollars, Amazon Digital wants four or five, but the CD I can get for one. Buy. 
Yeah, I, I don't buy much the way. Well, I, I am moving soon, so that's a reason. Why, that's, that's a reason not to buy more physical media in the time for the me, for, for the meantime. So, so, yeah, I do actually. I also buy records, like actual mm-hmm. vinyl records. Um, I don't listen to them too often. I've got my my record player is kind of crappy, and it's it's been playing back a little slow. But there is just a certain thrill in just actually, you know, having a vinyl. This is gonna make me sound like such a fucking hipster. <laughs> having an actual vinyl record, putting it down on the turntable, going through the ritual of that, and the most recent record I purchased was the Devo Live in Seattle 1981 double LP set. God, I wish it smoked for a gatefold on that, but um, yeah. And there's still some there's still some stuff that you can get on vinyl that you just can't get any other way. Again, we had this discussion, I think. <laughs> yeah. I think they're actually gonna release that on C D though. I saw something on like I think like a Spud Talk or something where they had like Pil- Pilmer's Pilmer's Facebook page, he uh, he was working go. on the packaging for that. Yeah, so I was sort of like Oh, but then I then again I have like the, the nice vinyl set too, so yeah, it just means I'm gonna have to buy it again. I know, but it's Devo, so I don't mind as much. I yeah. guess. Yeah, I don't know anything about vinyl, uh, but I'd like to. I'd like to get into the vinyl someday, but probably after I'm settled down somewhere, kind of like permanently, because I like to travel light. So I wouldn't want to stock up on a bunch of albums and have to cart them around everywhere. Yeah. Um. It's 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 a it's a I don't. I'm not one of those like hardcore. Oh, I have to have like this really uh, fancy turntable and this really fancy uh, amp preamp and this really fancy uh, speaker set. I mean, I want something better than what I've got now because I've got one of those crappy all-in-one. It's a record player, CD player, radio cassette player. Wow. And believe it or not, I actually have one cassette that I've played in it. <laughs> Which is, uh, I, it's the only way I could get their music. Um, have you, do you, I know Matt probably reads, reads cat. Do you read, ever read a comic called Cat and Girl online? I do not, no. I actually don't really care for really... Cat and Girl. What? I know, oh. it's, it's, well, it's weird with Cat and Girl, because, like, well, I'll, I'll do binge readings, and I'll be like, you know, like, it's, it's weird, because I'll be, I'll read it, and I'll be like, oh, this is a, this is a good one. Okay. Uh, 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 uh. Stop. <laughs> so it's like uh, I, I like individual cat and girls. I guess I don't. I don't know. Okay. Well, anyway, uh, Dorothy Gambrell. Uh, her she's been a, she's done a couple bands, and one of her bands was um, Jenny and the Holzers. <laughs> and they came to Philadelphia. They played a show, and uh, since I I've never bought any cat and girl books, so just uh, a couple stickers and pins. I figured I'd throw down and buy uh, buy their cassette tape. And I really wish bands wouldn't put out music on cassette tape. Yeah, I, there seems to be like kind of a weird like cassette resurgence, which I just don't get because um, cassettes fucking blow. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not yeah. like it's not like with vinyl where there actually is like a you know a different quality to the sound. And I mean, I, I can see that. I mean, like I, I don't get as full into, like, you know, like, vinyl superiority as some people do. Um, I'm not going to say it's superior, I just think it's it's definitely different. 
Yeah, and I mean, I think there's some sometimes where you do want the vinyl version, like with XTC's English Settlement, like the you know the vinyl pressing on that one is better than any release CD, especially the original Geffen issue, which was just ass. Are you confusing uh, English Settlement with Skylarking? No, I mean no, I'm 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 not talking about the the remaster. I'm talking about the original original vinyl issue of um of um, English Settlement because there's like. There's a lot of reverb on that record, and on the on the original Geffen release, all that reverb goes away. And the the remaster on Caroline is a lot better, but it's still not as good as as the vinyl on that one. I've like compared. I did not know about this. You'll have to if you if you have a, a rip, I guess, of the vinyl version, please hook me up. <laughs> um, yeah, anyway. I'll, I'll I'll probably bug Ant about it, my friend Ant about it, because he's. It's kind of funny. I was thinking to myself, you know, we should have him on the show sometime. Although. Apparently he doesn't actually like to talk on Skype. He'll he'll Skype with people, but he'll he'll just type, which would be kind of bad if we're doing a radio show. But um, he yeah. is a hardcore um, collector. Mm-hmm. Like um, he's a huge They Might Be Giants fan, and he has something like fifty or sixty different pressings of the Pink album, the the first They Might Be Giants record. Wow, that that's obsessive. Yeah, and I mean they're all like uh, you know I mean it's like they're they're different pressings of course it's but I mean mm-hmm. it's like you know oh yeah here's the Italian pressing here's the British pressing on electric and here's the British pressing on rough trade and here's the British pressing on whatever else other label there is and it's it's kind of interesting and and he'll like um, sometimes he'll like he'll do that with CDs too like uh, he's actually sent me a uh, MP3s from a Italian copy of the Lincoln CD their second album and it's weirdly mastered i mean it's kind of cool but it's like it, it's it's interesting that there are actual like tangible differences i mean sometimes sometimes that will be all like oh here you got to hear this you know botswanian you know pressing of the birdhouse single or whatever and he'll play it on and i'll be like okay and he'll be like oh man don't you hear that the eq is slightly different and i'll be like no and then there's some of them that are like this italian um Italian Lincoln that are like kind of like wow that's really weird or if you're a casual listener you probably won't pick up on it really but if you know the, those albums like back backwards and forwards like you know nerds like me do you can you can kind of hear them and then there's there's hardcore nerds like Ant where it's like you know oh my god there's like this like tiny tiny microscopic difference that I totally pick up on that I like you know okay so if we can actually convince him to actually talk he he would probably be a a pretty good guest uh, sometime on like one of the collecting type of shows. Good good to know. So um, we've been going for a long time here, but I just want to talk a little bit about kind of the actual sort of how and maybe where would be a little bit more appropriate um, for the listening experience. <laughs> so um, I know for me, I kind of have like four four main venues. Um, first of all, obviously, if I'm at my computer iTunes is open, um, and I either use headphones or not, depending on who else is home. Uh, and I one of the best purchases, computer purchases, music related that I've ever made is the Bass Jump to Subwoofer by Twelve South, um, made specifically for MacBook. And I've got a link to it and a link to my review on my website in the show notes. But the the improvement in sound uh, is just fantastic just by adding a subwoofer it just makes the sound sound so much uh, fuller and makes your music sound a lot better so I highly recommend that it's only I think it's $70 um, 
um, free shipping in the U.S. So I definitely recommend that if you uh, if you you know spend a lot of time listening to music at your computer and you're tired of your wimpy little laptop speakers, I can't think of a of a better upgrade. Um, I do a lot of my listening in the car. Um, that's where I lot of, do a lot of my musical digesting. If I'm going to listen to like one of my favorite bands, like when I listen to the new Rush record, that's one of those albums that I turn the lights off, put the headphones on, and just started it from start to finish and, start to finish and just laid in bed and uh, tried to absorb the whole thing. And um, other than that, if I'm really going to rock out, I have a, a nice, uh, at, my, uh, at my dad's house, um, I have a 5.1 system which is actually designed for Xbox. I forget who makes it. It's like an Xbox 5.1 system, but it sounds really good. And um, over here, uh, at my, uh, my friend's where I just moved into, um, my dad let us borrow his big Mirage towers and his Yamaha, Yamaha amplifier, um, which are just like super high quality, and they've got a lot of years on them. Uh, so it sounds really good. So those are kind of my, uh, my listening venues. Yeah, this is where it gets to the point where I told you I mentioned I'm a bad music listener. Well, first, I don't use my laptop speakers. I actually have uh, uh, a set of JBL Creature 2 speakers. Okay. Maybe I'll put a link into the show. They don't make them anymore. They, they're, they moved under the Creature 3, but yeah, I still I've have got JBLs work. in my car. They're so good. Yeah. Um, yeah, the only problem with the JBL Creature 2s is that they have like these little touch button volume controls. Oh well. Um, I listen to headphones at work. Uh, I have a pair of Sennheiser. Um, what I'm wearing now. Let me actually double check the model on these <laughs> by taking them off. They are uh, uh, the MM60s for iPhone. Because I do again, as I said, I'm I'm at I work all day during the week. I have I use these to listen to music and podcasts on my iPhone. I don't give a horse's patoot about iPhone sound quality as a amplifier because I probably would be able to tell the difference anyway. And if uh, I live alone, so I don't have to worry about headphones, but I've also got a pair of Sennheiser HD202 big fucking huge over-the-ear headphones for when I have to, like, if I if it's, like, late at night and I don't want to wake up the neighbors. And as for sort of, like, the winnowing, I've never done... I, I I can't just... I mean, I'm just hyperactive. I have trouble, like, sitting down and just concentrating on listening on a record. Uh, like, turn off the lights, you know, close my eyes, sit and listen. Mm-hmm. It's just... I mean, I'm just some... Maybe it's a maybe it's attention deficit disorder talking. <laughs> yeah, it really depends on who the artist is. Like, I don't do that for every piece of new music that I find, but if it's, like, one of my favorite bands that I'm, like, really anticipating the release of a new album, I'll sit down with it and just... Give my give it my full attention. I also like. I mean, I'll be I'll be honest. I, I do move when I'm listening to music as well. You know, especially if it's like something that's move music to move to, as it were, like the Hot Chip record, for example. So, you know, okay, I dance in my chair. Okay, I, I admit it. I have no shame. <laughs> Matt. Okay. Um. On a technical standpoint, uh, most of my um, most of my listening is off of my uh, my iMac. Uh, I do use uh, iTunes, which I know, like if uh, the Windows version, at least for a long time, was kind of crappy. 
Um, still is. Still is? Okay, fair enough. I, 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 I'm on a Mac, so I... You know, I I don't know, I don't know, don't don't know, don't care. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the uh, the iTunes version of for for Mac, which makes sense because it's built for Mac, uh, is is real good, I think. Um, and I use uh, the optical out of my i uh, my iMac to go to my five one receiver, which is a Kenwood. Um, I um, I've had this for about 10, 12 years now. Um, it's kind of funny because uh, when I bought it, I didn't realize it. But um, after I bought it, I ended up like uh, reading uh, one of the the cryptic uh, corporation members, uh, the the residence managers, uh-huh, um, wrote a guide to five one five one receivers for uh, when Icky Flix came out. Their uh, uh, music video compilation DVD that they also did a uh, new soundtrack for that was in five one. And it turned out that I basically got the one that um, either Hardy or Homer had recommended, which I thought was actually pretty cool. Awesome. Um, if I can find if I can find the guide, I'll throw it in the show notes. Um, it might be offline now because I mean, again, this was you know uh, uh, over a decade ago. But anyway, though, and that that one has served me really well uh, for my speakers. Like uh, my left and rights are from an old uh, Sony five and one. Or not five and one, but a three and one kind of system that I had that was like a three CD changer and two tape decks. Um, I I have that somewhere, but I don't think it really works anymore. Especially now that I ripped out the speakers of it. <laughs> and my center channel is a really nice Polk audio, and then the the satellites are just the the shitty ones that came with the the uh, receiver because you don't really need high high quality speakers for the satellites, you know. Right. Um, and the same with the sub. The sub is also the one that came with it, but it's a it's a pretty good size sub, and it's it's done me pretty well. Um, I, I I do like you know monitor listening. Like although my my headphones are a really nice uh, Bose pair. I I was looking, and I don't actually see the model number on here, so I I don't know what the model number is anymore. But they're they're super nice quality. Over the ears, uh, and because I have glasses, they're really nice. Over the glasses, which is a something that's very important with over-ear headphones, because sometimes you get them and they just crush your ear against the arm, and it's no good. Mm. Um, and then the funny thing is, is uh, when I when I'm out and about, I listen on my iPod, uh, and I actually just use the standard um, iPod earbuds for that, which I know what? like a lot of. I know a lot of people will, like, give me shit over it, you know. Um, they're not that bad, honestly, but for me, it's just yeah. that I, I I, like the relatively low profile of them. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's, you know, they're, they're in earbuds, so they aren't really anything that uh, folks really see as much. And I don't know, I, I think it's just that I'm kind of paranoid that, I don't know, I guess, like, someone's going to see that I have, like, a... a shitty old iPod and want to steal it or something even though it's a uh, it's a, um, a nano so it's not exactly even like a really you know really bitchin iPod or anything but I like it <laughs> um, yeah. I think at but, this point even the guy who mugs you has an iPod exactly exactly so it's <laughs> but, I, but I guess too it's also that I, I can be hard on headphones when I'm out and about so I don't really want to you know have my Boses out and, and fuck them up you know Right. Yeah, 
Hey, I've got separate headphones for out and about with the iPod, with the iPhone, and at home at my computer. Despite the fact that I'm wearing the iPod headphones right now, whatever. <laughs> yeah, if I'm and working out, I'll just use the regular iPod headphones. They're totally fine. I mean, my, in my opinion, for the price of "quote unquote" free with the iPod, and uh, I do have a nice pair of ear canceling, uh, noise yeah, ear canceling, noise canceling earbuds. I forget the brand. I don't have them nearby. Um, but they're nice. They like they fit really like into the canal and uh, the ear canal, and um, they sound pretty good. But if I'm home and I'm at my computer, I've been leaning more towards the over the ear and um, the AKGs two K two four zero. I think is the model. So I've had bad luck with the with the uh, standard iPod iPhone earbuds. They they just start to like slowly get quieter and quieter and. Quieter. You have to, until you have to crank the volume up on the iPhone list like absolutely to the max. Maybe I just have bad luck with headphones. I don't think uh, I've ever experienced that. Uh, every yeah. once in a while I do, but it's more of the, the player, it seems, than the, the phones, necessarily. But then again, I'm probably thinking of my old Iowa Walkman, so where the batteries would die and it would get quieter, and then I'd put the new batteries in and it would be really, really loud. Yeah, yeah it's definitely not the... Uh, not the Because, uh, I'm again, I'll start everything on my iPhone. If I plug in another set of headphones, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a while, I had the uh, in the Apple in your headphones are actually really good. I don't know if they're necessarily worth the price, but I I had a pair of those for a while. They got damaged when someone tried to mug me. Let's not talk about that. <laughs> um, so see what I'm saying here, people. The, the uh, Sandra ones as a replacement because I didn't have ninety dollars to spend on headphones that that afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, and then I guess how I actually listen to music is like when I when I get a record, like I always like to listen to it the album straight through at least once. Yeah, me too. Like like it yeah. depends on it depends on the the record, you know. Of course, like um, like listen to it like um, and then kind of I, I I still like physical media, so I I I love to stare at it and you know pour over the liner notes and that kind of thing. Um, sometimes I have to listen to new stuff when I'm working, so then I, I'll usually have like the booklet open, and you know during lulls in work or whatever I can look at it, you know. But uh, but like if it's like a, a band that I really really care about, I kind of do that the uh, thing that uh, Andrew does, where I'll I'll um, throw my fat ass on the couch and lay on the couch and you know stare at the the record while I was listening and reading along and and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A lot of my. Uh, listening though is actually through um, Shuffle and iTunes DJ where I've got like a whole mess of smart playlists to give me like a really good mix of music and uh, that that's kind of how I how I uh, how I do it it's uh, you know and, and a lot of people will give me crap over having you know Shuffle on all the time but oh well yeah Sometimes, uh, well, I do. I do the thing where I listen to the whole album too, at least for the first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I used to be like a hardcore album person, even when there's an album which has just like one or two really one or two good songs, and the rest are just kind of meh. Same um, here. In recent years, I've gotten more into this playing individual tracks, and I want to hear a song. And yeah, one of the great things for that is. I use LaunchBar on my Mac, which lets you just pick, type in a. You press command. I press command space. We can sort of thing. I can type in an artist or an album or a song, and it'll, if I just pick a song, I'll just play that one song on iTunes, and then, whoop, that's it. Don't have to worry about the next thing coming up. Um, and I have even 
on the iPhone, I've even got, I don't use the standard music app much anymore. I have this app called Music Plus, which lets you, like, queue up a playlist like you could back in the day on the original iPod where you could just pull down the center button and add it to, like, a, a dynamic new playlist. So I hmm. kind of just, like, queue up a couple songs if that... Because I, 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 I arrange my listening at work based on, like, my around my breaks and my, uh, my lunch break and my time schedule. So... <laughs> You know, if it's like, oh, it's 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 uh, four o'clock. I'm out of here in about in a little under an hour. Let me find like a, a forty-five. Uh, I can see like, oh, this happens like about forty-five minutes. I'll put this on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I do that too. When uh, I was uh, when my mom would drive me to college, I would you know be like, okay, it's about an hour drive, so I'll you know put on an album that's about an hour. Right. Yeah. So you don't use the regular music app on your iPhone, Rich, right? You just said Music I, Plus, I is do, it? Well, I do use the, the regular music app under certain circumstances because the one problem I have with Music Plus and indeed all, apparently all non-standard music playing apps for the iPod, for the iPhone that use the, uh, the library is that it doesn't do gapless playback, hmm. which is kind of important because if you're putting on a live album or just an album where the songs seg into each other, Right. Hi, Zappa. Um, you can't do that. You'll get those very jarring um, one-second yeah. pauses between songs. Yeah. And so I, when I listen to the Rush album, I listen to that in the standard app. Um, and the, But the other reason, that, the other thing I like about Music Plus is that it connects to Last FM, so I can show off. <laughs> but uh, Well, that's handy. It, uh, yeah. Uh, there's another app uh, called OnCue, which got me into this sort of dealing, but... Uh, on cue's been rather buggy. Uh, uh, if I'm shuffling tracks around, it'll just suddenly I'll, everything will just go flying all out of position. And I've, I've talked to the developer on Twitter about that, and I'm just like, until the, I'm just gonna wait. I'm not gonna go back to that until the next major version because this is just too buggy. Hmm. Yeah, I've been using a Cloud Scrub to send my iPhone music to my last FM. Uh, profile, which is pretty good. I mean, you just have to remember to open it once in a while and it'll search and detect all of your updated play counts and just send it up to the site, which works, oh, I, I didn't guess. know you could... I, I didn't know there was an app to do that. I thought that was just sort of a... a uh, yeah, he had a jailbreak for that. No, Cloud Scrub works pretty well. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll just, you know, uh, let it... let the normal, like, audio scrabbler scrabble when I load up my iPod again, so... Mm. Yeah. It, sometimes it chokes, um, which sucks, but most of the time it seems to be okay. Okay. Well, I don't think anyone is listening anymore. <laughs> yeah. I think we, we bored everyone with that one. So, uh, <laughs> I think we should wrap it up. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think that's the title of this one, is Blah 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 Nerd Shit. <laughs> Oh, uh, we do have, before we wrap it up, though, I've got some news uh, for the next couple episodes. Uh, Matt is going to be in Portland for two weeks uh, attending a wedding, as mentioned last week. Yeah, so we've got in, some in folks fact, who are going to be filling in and possibly even taking his spot over if we don't like him anymore. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, we're going to have, next week, we're going to be joined by uh, Philadelphia DJ and music fixture uh, DJ Robert Drake. He's a DJ from WXPN here in Philadelphia. He runs all kinds of uh, late night music events, and he's uh, he was also our first uh, first listener and first fan. <laughs> a 
checked. If, if you go on the website and look at the uh, comments for episode the on the comments for episode one, he's the first comment. Thank you. Yes, and after that, the uh, the week after that, we'll be joined by John Pfeffer, uh, the frontman for the band Capillary Action, who uh, are starting to get back onto uh, touring and recording music again. So uh, that'll be fun to have. And uh, after that, Matt will be back. And everyone will be sad. <laughs> or happy, depending on how, on how well the guests go over. <laughs> <laughs> well, considering that one of them is actually a professional DJ, at least. Uh... <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I'm hoping we can maybe start to get, like, after this, maybe try to get, like, one, one guest on per month. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so I guess if... If you got something to say, let us know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, oh, I'm Rich. You can uh, find find me at uh, sandspoint.com. I'm not going to spell that this week because if you've been listening long enough, you should know how to spell it by now. It's fun. <laughs> Sans- yeah. I'm Sandspoint on Twitter, and I have a Tumblr site at wantabreathmint.com that I really should up- update more, but whatever. <laughs> And uh, you can find me at andrewmarvin.net, on Twitter, at andrewmarvin, and uh, my Tumblr is andrewmarvin.tumblr.com. And my site is kittysneezes.com. I'm also at kittysneezes on Twitter, even though I don't update that as much as I should, but whatever. And I'm also on Tumblr at kittysneezes.tumblr.com, where I actually just posted a thing that was a thing that was kind of funny to me, where the... DEA claims that prohibition worked, and one of the the funny things in there is that they they say like one of the the myths is that uh, is that organized crime flourished during prohibition. As it turns out, organized crime did flourish, but it existed before and after. So therefore, that's wrong. Got it. <laughs> so there wow. you go. A plus DEA. <laughs> so follow us, like us, rate us, write reviews on iTunes, which is always good. And make sure you stop by the site, CrushOnRadio.com, because we post a lot of awesome stuff there that we don't talk about during the shows. Yes. yes. So it's always great talking to you guys. Thanks so much. Uh, we're going to miss you, Matt, for the next two weeks. Yes. You're lying. <laughs> no, no. It, it, honest and true. <laughs> Enjoy Portland. Stop a voodoo donut for me. Yes, I, I'm. I'm looking forward to that. And there, I guess there's also because um, actually it's like uh, funny because like the uh, I'm actually really excited for tonight because that's when Jeremiah the the uh, lucky groom. Uh, I actually do mean that because uh, Chris is an awesome lady. Um, where uh, we take him on his bachelor party, where we're going to uh, a Brazilian steakhouse. Where if you don't know what the deal is with Brazilian steakhouses, it's really cool because. There's a bunch of guys with skewers of meat that wander around, and they're basically, oh, do you want this ultra-delicious pork? And you say, yes, please, and they carve off a hunk, and you eat it, and then, then they wander away, and then some, comes, some guy comes up and goes, do you want this ultra-delicious steak stuffed with cheese? And you go, yes, please, and they car- carve you off a chunk, and it, it just goes off until you, you basically explode. Like, um, I, I literally, the last time I was at a Brazilian steakhouse... I, I'm kind of ashamed of this, but not not ashamed enough to not mention it. My my pants button actually popped off. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have one of those in uh, 
here in Hartford. So everybody should go to their local Brazilian steakhouse. Yeah, we've got yes. a couple here in Philadelphia. I've, I've been to one, uh, Fogo de Chao, which was, oh, 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 man. They gave you the little uh, card, one side's green, one side's red. When the green side's up, that means give me yep. meat. Yep, exactly. Yes. We have, like, t- between 12 and 15 on the menu on any given night. It's a lot of meat. Yeah. i got to get back there. Uh, this, I, th- I think we hit Syracuse a length on this one, yeah. though. We should all go to our Brazilian steakhouses right now. Yes, yes. Like, right. stop the podcast well, now because it's over and go get <laughs> full <I> go? of meat. <laughs> Unless you're a vegetarian, in which case um, they have some, like, really good things that were like, uh, oh, it's the stuff that they make uh, tapioca out of. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it's like a potato and you can, it's like they make fries out of it or mashed potatoes. And that's really good too. So like um, while you're, you're uh, meeting your friends, gorge themselves on meat, gorge yourselves on this uh, out, like manaka or whatever it's called. Something like that. <laughs> Manacunia? I don't know. Manchuria? Something. <laughs> All right, I'm not it's talking edible. anymore. <laughs> what? I think we're I think we're done here. <laughs> okay. Manchurian candidate? <laughs>